Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Let us now turn our attention to the Word of God. We will first pray the prayer for illumination and then hear the Word of God read and proclaimed. Let us pray. Holy God, grant that the words you speak to us this day may take root in all of our hearts and bear fruit to your honor and your glory. Amen. And now a reading from the first book of John. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking out of the Mission Campus building with a church member whom I'd never met before. It started with that normal but awkward moment where you and someone else are walking down the same hallway, but you don't know, you don't know each other, but you recognize each other's presence. As I hold the door for this member to the outside, she introduces herself to me. She says, I'm a longtime member. This is my first time back in worship for two years. What a difference being in this place makes as she motions up to the sanctuary. Yes, I reply. There is something that happens when we are together, singing the same songs, hearing the same words. It can be a powerful experience. I hope to see you soon, I say, waving at her. Over the past two years, all of us, in different ways, have been asking the question, what purpose does church, both church as in this place, but also church as in time, what place does it have in our lives? Some of you have said to me, I'm so glad to be in the sanctuary again. Others of you have told me, I just love worshiping online. 
and others I know have simply not returned. Today, we are going to talk about what happens when we gather together to worship. During the height of the pandemic, one of you sent me a New York Times article describing just this, what happens when we gather together. Dr. Adam Grant from the Wharton School of Business in July of 2021 describes the happiness that occurs when we gather as social effervescence. He goes on to write, this was a a term coined by the sociologist Emile Durkheim to describe the sense of energy and harmony that people feel when they come together as a group for a shared purpose. He goes on to cite, research has found that people laugh five times as often when they are with others as when they are alone. Even exchanging pleasantries with a stranger is enough to spark joy. He writes, peak happiness lies mostly in collective activities. I wonder, though, if we come to church only to experience what Dr. Grant refers to as social effervescence. Or, I wonder if there is something bigger and deeper that we are longing to experience here. In May, Village Church celebrated one year of being back in in in-person worship not solely offering worship online. So some say that we are presently in a post-COVID world, one in which COVID has and will continue to spread for the foreseeable future. Yet we're not locked down like we were in parts of 2020 and even 2021. For a whole year and two months, All of us were a part of this permeable, extended, online worshiping community. So it might be tempting for us to think that our generation is the first generation to grapple with the inability to worship at church together. So I want to share with you the story of John. John is the writer of the biblical book of Revelation. In the first century, John went into political exile on the Greek island of Patmos. He too worshiped on Sundays, even though he was not gathered with an assembly of Christians. He worshiped alone Yet knowing that he was worshiping with other Christian worshipers in other places and times. John, while he was on Patmos, trusted that all of them were connected through the body of Christ. 
Liturgical theologian Gordon Lathrop paraphrases, paraphrases, excuse me, paraphrases how John understood worshiping in exile in this way. He writes, in the spirit of the Lord's day, the day of the Christian assembly, this exile encounters the risen one. But this encounter is not a lonely engagement with the divine. It is also, from its outset, full of the presence of other churches, the churches in the midst of the risen one, the church held in his hand, the churches to which the letters of Revelation are then addressed. Our buddy John had simply to know and trust that he was connected to a larger worshiping assembly of God, of God's people worshiping the risen one together. In our current age, I don't think any of us are political exiles, but we can still feel separated from our worshiping community. I visit our homebound members frequently, and they sometimes feel separated physically from the church, but not spiritually. Some feel connected through online worship or our telephone call worship times. Some are not able to access these. So, like John on Patmos, they trust. They trust that they are still connected through all their years of prayers, relationship building, and even through the body of Christ itself. Some of you might be separated by geography. Some of you are home with babies or caring for parents. Some of you might even be working. Yet one of the truths passed down to us through the history and tradition of John on Patmos still remains true. When you are worshiping the living God, whether in person, online, or stuck on Patmos, the worshiping assembly is gathered and is gathered around you and around the risen one. Because with this, this assembly, you are witnessing to the presence of the risen one. So you might live in Maryland, but feel just like you're here on the front row. Or our village on Antioch campus. We know that we are always worshiping with our southern Johnson County brothers and sisters. Whether Village Church has two campuses or ten campuses, it is not by our own power that we are gathered into one assembly. Although in truth a lot of work goes into it, it is all by the connecting power of God. It is God's work, not ours, 
that connects us all into the body of Christ. But why? Why does God connect us? What is the purpose? I want to answer that question by telling you about a couple of Sundays in my household earlier this month. You may know that I am married to a pastor. My children were baptized in the church that she pastors, Southminster Presbyterian Church. My children are regular worshipers at my wife's church. A few weeks ago, as I leave my house to be worship leader here at the Village on Mission campus, I realized sitting in my car that I feel sad. And it, it's not normal for, um, for my kids to worship with me in church because they worship right down the street at Southminster Presbyterian Church. So a few Sundays ago, as my wife is recovering from surgery and my mother is here to help us, I was walking out the door and there was still a giant question mark about where my children were gonna go to worship and even if they were gonna go to worship. So what I realized is that my sadness was not that they weren't gonna be in worship with me. What I realized is that my sadness was that my children were not going to experience the gathered worshiping assembly, worshiping the risen one. They were not going to participate in this loving community, showing that God is breathing life and love among us, and where we get to show God's love to each other. Do you think that sounds a little idealistic for an ordinary Sunday morning? It turns out, when I arrived home about lunchtime, my children had watched their church service online and had even drawn pictures to go with the children's message that morning. I could not have asked for a more engaged way to encounter church. So the next week rolls around. It's well established that my children know how to sit in church. They've been doing it since they were three weeks old. So we've been practicing sitting in and being church for a long time. Yet to my shock and horror last week, they were a mess in church. No one sat still. Both kept talking to me, especially during the prayers. There were whines and whimpers. And at points, both my children were, were literally up there in the balcony, just flung on the pew, flopping about. These well-trained pastor's children were just not having it that day. I could feel the bitter shame in my mouth, and I wondered how on earth could I have been sad that these children weren't in worship last week, especially if this is how they act. 
Then my daughter leans over to me and whispers, Mama, are we going to have communion today? I say, no, not today. (laughs) The disbelief in this six-year-old's face was stunning. It was clear to me that no matter how my children were acting that day, the practice of doing and being in church matters, that church sinks in. There is this incredible power of being in the room, letting the words and the hymns and the prayers fall upon these children. And as soon as the worship service was over, one person in the balcony came up to me. Clearly she could see the struggles that were coming from the pew the rights were sitting in. She came over and touched my elbow gently and said, I've been there too. Just keep going. Whether you are three weeks old, six years old, or 106 years old, the practice of being church together is not simply something we put on our calendar. It's a pattern. It's a way of living that seeps into our bodies and souls so that when life gets really tough, we remember that soon there will be a meal that nourishes us through the sacrament of communion or even Wednesday night dinners. We know that soon there will come a supporting word through a song from a friend and from scripture And we also remember that there will come a day soon where it will be time for us to return that love and care. So what are we pointing to? You might be asking yourself, Pastor, go ahead and answer your own question. Am I a Christian if I don't go to church? Well, let me answer it. You are a Christian if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. No one, none of us, not me, are here to police what happens between you and God. God is the one who makes things happen. Yet I think it does seem that there's something larger at stake especially for us when we worship together and we, when we worship the risen one. And I think what's at stake, as sappy as it may seem, is love. Love made manifest. Love made human. Love made real. One way of showing and receiving Christian love is by showing up. For it is in showing up that we are claiming with our very bodies and our very voices that God's love is the most powerful force in this universe. And it's shown through each other, through baptism and communion, and through the power of the whole body of Christ. Would you believe 
that when we gather together, it's not just something that is powerful that happens. It's almost something metaphysical and theological. We are stating with our own bodies that there is something in this world that we are claiming. We are claiming God's love for this world, God's love for each other, and God's love for ourself. That is no small thing. So as Christians, when we gather, we are always gathering with other Christians in other times, in other places, And with all the saints that have come before, and all the saints that will come after, and we do this proclaiming God's love. We pray all this in the name of the Creator, the Risen One, and the divine love that surrounds us all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.